It's so much easier to talk about cool Battletech and Mech Warrior stuff when you actually know about Battletech and Mech Warrior stuff. You're listening to the No Guts No Galaxy podcast. No Guts No Galaxy is recorded in front of a live studio audience. This is an adult podcast containing adult language. Consider yourself warned. The inner sphere is a big place, and occasionally we all must decide to see it either for the living organism that it is, or the dark, depressing, and scary place it could be. I'm Duncan Fisher, here to be your guiding light in times of turmoil. I've been hearing things lately, things that make me feel like my loyal fans may be in need of some help. Many of you are concerned about the recent string of periphery and border planets that have gone dark, their HPGs now silent. Comstar says there's nothing to worry about, and I'm inclined to believe them. Why? Well, why not? Why should we not trust the organization that has maintained our HPG networks for almost 300 years, since the tragic fall of the Star League? Their task is no less heroic than the exploits of dozens of mech warriors here on Solaris 7 and across the inner sphere. HPGs are much more complicated than mechs, or so I'm told. And I, for one, will not doubt Comstar until I have a little more to go on than the mad ravings of a few conspiracy theorists and the tinfoil hat crowd. So rest easy, folks, and concentrate on cheering for your favorite mech jock. Your encouragement just might help bring out the next grand champion. This has been the Duncan Fisher Minute. You're listening to the Gamecasting Broadcast Network. Live from the outreach studios around the world, this is a No Guts, No Galaxy podcast. And now, your host, Phil, a.k.a. Sean Lang. Welcome to the No Guts, No Galaxy podcast number 88. My name is Phil, and I'm your host. It is September 4th, 2013. My shout out, it's gonna go to the mech porn guru, the creator himself, Shimmering Sword. Holy crap, again, if you haven't checked out his DeviantArt page, make sure to do so. He's got a recent uh, picture, Moonscape, he did. I think it was a commission. Holy crap, it's awesome. I want it for a poster, and uh, yes, um, yeah, I'm still drooling. Uh, Darren, who do you got? Yeah, Shimmering Sword, our own, uh, our very own Larry Flint of Mac Porn. Anyway, this is Darren, a.k.a. Bombadil, uh, and my shout-out today goes to all of our NGNG TV streamers. That includes Impy, Zach, Ed, Foxy, Deadfire, and whoever else is streaming. Man, those guys are awesome, bringing us daily uh, mech goodness action, um, so we appreciate you guys. Thank you for all of your efforts. I know this uh, past Monday when we did a uh, holiday late-night stream instead of a morning stream, I think Ed uh, did the the time frame, so people got double dose, triple dose of mech porn that day. So again, I'd like to reiterate, thank you guys. You guys are doing awesome. And of course, I'd like to say welcome to all of our new listeners out there in the world and to our listeners who've been following us for some time. I know we've got some followers that literally have been here from the start, and we just want to say thank you. And we ask, hey, if you guys uh, like what we're doing over here at NGNG and you have the ability, hey, head over to our website, and there's a tip jar on the right side of the website. Show some love, and we'd greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. And maybe you're doing a little shopping online, maybe Amazon or Newegg or Tiger Direct. If so, help support the show while shopping for cool stuff online by clicking on the Amazon Newegg or Tiger Direct buttons on our website. They're on the right side. Scroll down a little bit. It won't add anything to your charge, but it gives NGNG a little kickback. It's a great way to support everything we do if you don't want to or cannot donate directly. And I'd like to welcome Brian Ekman, and for those that don't know, he is the Piranha Games Creative Director, and we've had him on before, and I just want to say welcome, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot, Phil and Darren, for having me on. Welcome back. 
Yeah, I was going to say, uh, he, he always makes trips to Montreal. I always bug him. He's like, hey, I'm on a train, I'm on a plane. And anyways, it was nice to be able to get a hold of you and sit down. And, you know, we're going to be covering a lot today, Brian, and we've collected a bunch of questions from the community. So we're just going to go ahead and dive right in and get through this massive list. Are you ready? You bet. And don't forget, I'm also in a mech sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got launch coming up. For those that don't know, launch is September 17th. Is that the next patch, Brian? Is that what's going down on that day? Yeah, that is the uh, that is the next patch. So our next scheduled uh, every two-weeker is going to be on launch date. That is now, exciting. That being said, uh, a lot of people have questions, and we're going we're gonna to dive into the next set of questions, which is like UI 2.0. Is UI 2.0 confirmed for launch? Uh, it's not going to make the September 17th date. Uh, we feel it's not quite ready yet. Uh, we put up our, our new test server system in August, uh, July, I can't remember exactly. It was a couple months ago now. And uh, we really want to utilize that before we push it. It's a huge system, and uh, it's a huge update to the game. And you kind of have to think of it, our first delivery of 2.0 will be essentially this. Think of the existing UI you have right now, which we lovingly call 1.5. So we're going to deliver that UI and all of its functionality plus the new store concept. And that new store is a lot of work. Um, it's not all of the work, but it's, it's a big update to how players interact with purchasing items and in-game content. So once that's all ready and tested, uh, which start, should start to go into public test, optimistically at the end of the month, um, so a few weeks after launch, but realistically it's probably going to be more like early October, first couple weeks in October before we start seeing the very first tests. And then from there, uh, you can expect a delivery. If everything goes well and there are no major bugs, and you know there always are, um, it should come late October, early November, and then if catastrophe happens for some reason, we have compatibility issues or people are, we need to refactor something, it might be mid-November. Okay, now, that being said, would you agree with the statement of UI 2.0, as of right now, when it's implemented, will be the biggest game change you guys have implemented since, the, I mean, pretty much the beginning of closed beta? Absolutely. We have a team of six people working on just this one feature, four engineers and two artists, not to mention designers like myself and Paul, who are actively continuing to manage it and make sure it works. Uh, and then the test department, once they get it, and the community, once they get it, it's, it's, this is a big, like this is the single, single largest feature we've delivered since uh, we went open beta by far. So I know there will be some frustration, there'll, there'll be some expectations that it's coming with launch, but I totally agree with uh, not putting it out there until it's ready, because who wants to, you know, we, with something especially of this magnitude, you want it to be done right. So I can appreciate that. Now, in, in specifically regarding UI 2.0, uh, we had some questions about what will be included, and one of the most often asked questions was regarding a lobby system, whether there will be a lobby system with UI 2.0, and if so, how will it work? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I kind of described what 2.0 at launch will look like. So again, imagine the current functionality of the game plus a new store. The lobby system will be an extension, something that will come after that initial launch. And I just kind of wanted to find lobby to us because it probably means different things to different people. For us, the lobby and what we used to call dropship mode were kind of used uh, at the same time for the same meaning. So we've, we've separated the concepts out. Essentially, the lobby is the place you go to after matchmaking happens, but before you actually enter the map. And this is a place where random people and groups come together and are able to pick and pick from one of four mechs currently. We might allow more than that of the same tonnage limits, pick and equip certain consumables, and also vote on the map that you're going to play on as a match-made group of players, so that's up to 24 players, will have a say in what you're going to play on. This is for public play only, so this is, would be the pub queues, and that would be a new step inserted between from the moment you push launch to the moment you enter the game. I love the sound of that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Now, you mentioned possibly one of four mechs. Would that be for all you know game modes, or is that just specifically for a particular game mode? No, so this is, you still are only allowed to bring one mech into the match. You still only have one life, so to speak. But here's a good example, an analogy. Uh, you're a, uh, a fifth, you like to play 
uh, 50 ton mechs. Like I'm a hunchback. I like hunchback. I like lots of mechs, but hunchback is one of the uh, more popular ones I like to play. So what I can now do is I could say bring in four hunchbacks, maybe two 4Gs, and, and maybe my founders 4G and uh, or a 4P or a 4S or a 4SP. Sorry, and I could bring and configure up to four of those mechs with me so that when I know what map it is, I'll be able to select the appropriate heat build for that map or even camo spec for that map. So say I go and I have a winter camo spec and I have a desert camo spec, I'll be able to change those things on the fly in that screen before I actually launch into the game. So that gives me the best tactical advantage I possibly can have for that map. You know, maybe I brought, I have a short range brawler build or I have a long range build. Players will be able to choose between those builds at once matchmakings happen and they're about to launch or drop into the world with the best equipment. It'll kind of eliminate some of that frustration players have that we've seen with bigger maps where they're like, oh, I brought my short range mech. This sucks. Yeah, I have a friend who is fairly new to the game and he just discovered last night that you could buy two of the same mech uh, chassis, specifically, you know, a specific variant or whatever. And he was surprised to see that and he was happy about that as well because he likes to, you know, set up uh, his favorite mechs with different loadouts and not have to continually change them. Do you think this is going to encourage people to buy um, more of the same chassis and variants? Yeah, absolutely. You're going to run uh, a stable of mechs with different configurations on those mechs, and you're going to choose up to four currently. We might allow you to upgrade your dropship down the road, say bring eight or whatever, and you'll be able to bring up to four into battle. Now, one of the things we're adding with uh, Community Warfare down the road, uh, and that's where this system will come into play, is you're going to be able to, you'll start off with two drop bays, and then as you level up, as you rank up by earning XP, you'll be able to unlock two more. So there's a reason for you to actually play the game to a certain point, and it's part of our, our gating system that we're going to be introducing to give you something like many goals to get to. Now, uh, when we brought up lobby, you made it clear that you have to make that distinction because when I hear lobby, all I think of is back in the day, MechWarrior for the zone, MS Zone lobby, right? And you you connect to this, and you had all these different you know uh, rooms and stuff like that, and you could click and join. Now, you guys, uh, you just mentioned that this lobby is basically that sort of interim between you know you launched, right? And you're in this sort of uh, you know this lobby system, and then you choose whatever based on the map. You get to choose your Mac and blah blah blah, and then boom, you're in game now. When you get done with that match, do you go back in that lobby, or do you go all the way back to the mech lab? No, you'll go back to you go back to the mech lab, and if you're in a group, you still have your group. Uh, the reason for that is that lobby, pre-lobby, whatever you want to call it, uh, is happens after matchmaking. So you're not going to come back and then play the same people again. You actually have to rematchmake again, uh, and then you'll be put into a, another group of 24 players at, and go through that same process again. Now, when you're talking about the rooms, the chat rooms and things like that, uh, that you would see in MSO, that's a little bit different. Like that, That's what we would call uh, our, our, our social interface, right? Where uh, if you look at some of the UI 2.0 mockups we've uh, put up on the website, you'll, you'll see that we're adding a whole slew of chat room features where people can go to get pickup groups, they can organize, they can chat, they can have private rooms, things like that. So that's another feature that's coming with UI 2.0 uh, down the road as well that's going to enhance the communication of player-to-player -player interactions. Yeah, I think that is super essential. And I've heard a lot of people just dying for some sort of general, uh, not, you know, they'll use the term lobby, but obviously it's different here, but a, a general chat room or whatever so that when you come out of a match you can say great game hey what what loadout were you using or whatever and you can just talk with everybody in form groups i think that will be a great addition to the game yeah most definitely i mean even just for the fact that um and we've talked about this with the introduction of community warfare we knew you guys were doing a new ui 2.0 that you have to have some way to be able to communicate with your unit you know, um, if you're a Merc, you need to be able to have a, a lobby for your guys. And then what if uh, you guys have, you know, alliances or, or you know, uh, some type of contract, uh, you know, a whole system to be able to, you know, be able to talk and functionality. And you see so many games that have it. I mean, like, obviously, the first thing that pops in my mind is EVE, you know, EVE Online and their chat system. And, you know, you're able to make a channel and you could password protect it or make it open. People can join that channel and blah, blah, blah. And the ability to have that functionality and be able to communicate and, uh, and ease, ease of access. Now, with UI 2.0, um, you know, 
what other type of inter- information, additional information, will there be uh, to like end of match reports or, you know, who you were killed by, your accuracy? Like, are you going to be able to see how much damage you took? Like, what what happens or will the UI 2.0 add any of that? Yeah, once we get past the initial framework, um, the 1.5 plus store, all of those features are now unlocked. Like, we can start adding those as we go. So you're going to see constant updates to the front end client, uh, similar to how it was before we started UI 2.0, we were adding constant new features to the front end of the game. You'll start seeing that happen once uh, 2.0 is released. And one of them is a AAR after, after action report. You'll start to see player statistics that you see on the website. That'll be in the client. You'll be able to access that there. Plus down the road, we'll be able to start looking at other players and their statistics. These are all plans we've had for a number, since the beginning of time, uh, things that are unlocked by this massive feature and we'll be able to execute that. All this information and uh, statistics, you, you mentioned being able to look at someone else's, you know, finally, I know a lot of people have been wanting to do that. Does this tie in, uh, and I know this is sort of off track, but the API system you guys have talked about in the past, uh, you know, being able to tie it into form and functionality. The reason I bring this up is if uh, a lot of other games uh, have an API system to where you can have like a kill board and stuff, you can tie it into your unit or individual and stuff like that. So you can see like, hey, you know, we had this battle today and, you know, we kicked some butt and this is what I did today. You know, is that being implemented with UI 2.0? It's not. It's not a 2.0 specific feature. It's actually uh, its own complete set of features, and that would be a community tools and a community API. And here's my here's my dream. Okay, so don't hold me to this. This is just me, <laughs> me mumbling here. But this is what I want to provide because I was always inspired by the Eve API. I would love for us to create a way for players to build communities around our data so that players have access to the exact data and all the formulas and calculations that are are part of MWO. One of the reasons why we haven't released it yet is because during the open beta phase, we've been doing a lot of tuning and we've been adding a lot of content and we've been adding a lot of systems that have dramatically changed ecoscape and the landscape of the metagame. We've kind of come to the end of all the monster changes. Uh, you've seen a lot of the tuning things that have been happening in the last few months are more minor weapon balancing, and we're getting to a really good state now, uh, and we're really happy with where the game is at, and we're starting to you know, only have to make very minor adjustments to make the game balanced uh, as the players kind of push the envelopes in the metagame. So now that that's kind of stable, we can really turn our attention towards building out that API and allowing players access to it because there aren't so many changes. And then on top of that, and again, this is the dream, this is where I want to go with it, is you see some great tools that people are developing on the website for building... um, uh, different types of uh, mech builds. We would love to standardize the API for which uh, players can then export those builds, import them into the game uh, via simple like import dialog. It would then create a populate a cart or a, or a loadout, create a loadout for you inside the client, and then you just hit save or buy, and all that equipment's purchased for you. So that way, when you're sitting at home or you're at work, you can actually play around with customizing your mech. So. So like an iPhone app, an Android app, stuff like that, and being able to tie it in. So what you're referring to as well is what's called an EVE, the EFIT tool, E-F-T. And oh my God, I've spent, ow, like, I don't know how many hours I spent, you know, out of the four years I played in EVE, in EFT. It's it's one of the most addicting things ever. And it's funny because I was talking to Short Painter a few days ago, Rudy does comics, and he's like, man, I just like, creating stuff he's like i just go in the mech lab and i don't even play like i'll be in there for like two hours just mess around with my different mechs and there are so like many that. mech lab addicts people that yeah. just love to sit in there playing with their mechs and you know you've got uh, smurfy you've got a few other um, you know websites where you can go in there and you can create your own i know a lot of units have done their own personalized ones for their website and stuff but uh that is good to hear because I, I i think being able to like not have to worry about purchasing stuff you know like can i just try this does it work and obviously having those tools like right there at hand i feel are are huge for uh, community tools so let's move on to community warfare now obviously since ui 2.0 is not expected uh with launch i'm assuming that community warfare will not be either Uh, is there any elements of community warfare coming with launch Uh, No, not at launch. Uh, It is in development right now, uh, so we are working on it actively. Uh, We're building a pyramid. It's my analogy I always use. We've built the first few floors. Uh, UI 2.0 is another another step. I can't 
uh, introduce community warfare until it's done. So what we're doing right now is all the back-end engineering work, which there's an absolute ton of for the Merc Corps, for the Planetary Conquest, the new game rules associated with the Planetary Conquest, what players are fighting for, what they're going to own, the new economic, economic ecoscape associated with being a part of a faction, the metagame, the concept of a player having a level is going to be introduced with uh, community warfare and so i'm going to be doing a big presentation at launch uh, about the plans and then what's going to happen is the work that we're doing will be augmented by the community feedback so we're going to offer kind of like we did with ui 2.0 right after we uh, have our launch party players are going to be able to see our entire spec and all of our plans for community warfare and be able to comment it on comment on it and then we'll take that feedback and integrate it into our dev cycle so I don't have a final time as to when it's going to be released, but it will be phased in, starting with association, which is just the simple concept of being able to be a part of an organization and to create an organization. So that would be the ability to create a Merc Corp, set your ranks, set its structure, uh, have a representation in the game as that Merc Corp, or to be able to join one of the pre-existing factions, like one of the houses, and be associated with it and be playing on behalf of that. That also includes matchmaking concepts where players will be fighting on teams of faction whereas now it's mixed mixed factions playing against each other the the core gameplay mode is going to switch to this faction play and then for the lone wolves to to be a part of that as well and ui 2.0 is a prereq to that though you have to have that up and running and and everything now you mentioned the players being able to see ui 2.0 um is that going to be more of like uh, here's pictures and you can go through or are you going to utilize the public test server so people could just hop in there and you know find issues or find bugs or get you know give feedback here and there? Absolutely. I mean, public test will be a version of uh, it will be the current branch that this game is being built in. So we build uh, all the features we build, even a mech just on its own is put into a branch, which is a like a, a bucket where all the code and all the engineering and all the art changes and modifications are put so that branch is what we push so we upload it essentially to the test servers and that's what the players play they test that out so what happens is um, when community warfare gets to that first stage where we've vetted it internally we've had a qa pass or two or three done on it we will then push that branch to the test servers for people to uh, engage in and they'll be able to see how it works they'll be able to report bugs they'll let us know if they're having disconnects or crashes or any of the technical issues that we want to avoid when we push it live we want to catch at that stage now brian you mentioned uh this will sort of sidetrack you mentioned the public test server and a lot of people have been asking why hasn't it been used you know in the past uh you know month or so you know we've only had a few play tests uh can you give a little bit of feedback um you know yeah, that. for sure. Uh, it's uh, it's a combination of uh, resources and the fact that right now what's coming up next is a lot to do with DirectX 11 and the engine build. And it's a big technical push and has a lot of bugs associated with it. And we've been trying to squash as many of those performance issues and compatibility issues and just outright crashes of DX11 before we pushed it up to the public test. We've had a couple false starts where we wanted to push it and then at the last minute uh, QA's picked up some compatibility stuff that we had to fix. And that's that in conjunction with maintaining the live op servers, like the live production servers, we've had to, um, you know, direct the resources that would fix those those bugs onto uh, more pressing issues. So we're always managing a live ops versus future production. Uh, in this case, we just had to we had to take a step back and let um, let our team catch up and fix some of the bugs. In addition, the QA is always. Uh, their priority is always to deal with production and stable and stage, which is the, the, the how the build progresses through our test phases. And we were just really jam-packed with a lot of big features in the last couple of weeks here, so it kind of slowed the process of putting things on the test server. But you'll start to see public tests coming back um, uh, a lot in September. We'll probably run two or three uh, major features, so uh, expect that again. Cool. We definitely look forward to that. Now, moving on to basically general gameplay and balance uh, questions. Um, the first one is, will player population type statistics ever be made public? For example, total players playing currently, uh, maybe the geography of the players or the most popular mechs and weapons that are used, that kind of stuff? We, we live in a world where numbers are very powerful and they can be used both for good and for evil as you as i like to say uh when it comes to player statistics there's two reasons why we don't post them one 
they can be misconstrued and they can be used. What, what one person thinks is bad or good is actually incorrect. So we don't post them uh, because we feel that the amount of education we have to give and the amount of uh, possible ways it could be harmful to the community just doesn't make a lot of sense. The other thing, which is the big one, like really number one, is it's business intelligence. And it's kind of like your, it's part of your trade secret, right? What your numbers are and your, your KPIs. These are your core business things, and you want to kind of protect that because your competition, which we have, we have competition. This is a business after all. Uh, we don't necessarily want to kind of give away our secrets or how successful we have been and why we are successful to those to other people so they can copy it. And Yeah, yeah like, for example, if, if you did have the numbers in there, and let's just say, you know, just pulling a random number, let's just say somebody sees 3,000 people currently playing MWO. Now, they might say, well, that's really low, so therefore the game is failing, when it, when the reality is maybe it's a downtime, or um, there's a rotating, you know, revolving door. People are coming and going from the game all day, so maybe 15,000 people played during the entire day or more, um, but they just latch onto that 3,000 number, and that's how many people in their minds are playing, and then there's all kinds of discussions uh, revolving around that number 3,000. Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah, we saw it. We actually saw it in, in closed beta. People were misunderstanding the numbers and going, oh, wow, you know, in middle of the night there, I think we had like 1,500 people on, or, you know, at Friends and Family, we had 700 or 500 people on. Right. People were like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, you know, but if you if you think about through the course of the day, we have we have tens upon tens of thousands of players every single day. That's unique players, and hundreds upon hundreds of thousands per month. So we have... Are you the number of unique players to come in, play the game every day and throughout the month? You don't see that in one shot. You don't. You don't get to. See, you only see a snapshot of that very second that you're online. And so you, you you might have ten people logging on and ten people logging off in exactly the same moment, and your player count's not going to change. But to us, that's a that's a new unique player that's come online, and therefore, really, we when you see three thousand, we might already had twenty thousand people play the game that day. That all being said. Do you guys ever plan on doing that? I mean, even when you guys go full launch and after, you know, some time, is that something that you guys are just going to hold on to from there on out? Yeah, I think if uh, if there was a point at which we felt there would be no mistaking it, like if you kind of look back at even World of Tanks or any other of these, these products, you know, you don't, it's not a big deal until you hit a million. It's not a big deal until you hit 10 million, like registrations. You know, you don't, you don't really toot your own horn. Uh, I think... There's a, there is a concurrent number that we want to hit, and once we hit that, we'd be like, yeah, I think that is a number that everybody's going to look at and go, there's no mistaking the success. Um, I mean, I keep people. I've heard people say that it's going downhill or MW is going to fail or anything like that. It's completely the opposite. I mean, our numbers have been cranking all through summer when we thought guaranteed we were going to see a slowdown it was the complete opposite and so for the last quarter for the last six months actually since january all of our numbers have been increasing steadily and we haven't seen any any drop off at all which is fantastic so that means one we're attracting new players which is great two we're also retaining players i mean we have retained more than 50 percent of our original founding members still play every single month which is huge this is a year later so we have these guys playing and of those those founders most of them have re-upped with us to buy into the phoenix program which is phenomenal so that just says these core guys these awesome founders these these players that have been with us for a long time still love playing the game they're still continuing and willing to invest in this product that is very good news, uh, and we've been focusing on the numbers here. But what about more of this, like the interesting stats, like I mentioned before, maybe the geography of players or popular mechs and weapons? Yeah, this this comes down to priority more than anything. Uh, you know, we always have to prioritize everything we do. And this is absolutely something we want to show. Uh, like, I, I love telling players what the number one mech sold. Like, currently inventory right now is the catapult. So really, yeah. So there's more catapults that people own than any other mech. You know, whoa, what the heck? Uh, if you take out the founder mechs, like because that's part of the founder founder program, you can't actually sell it, which kind of skews the four founder mechs right. a little bit. Uh, the number one selling mech is take a guess. I'm gonna go with the Atlas. No, the Cataphract. I was gonna that's, say Jenner. 
Yeah, number one is Scatterbrand. Wow. Well, that's my inventory. baby. Yeah, in terms of inventory that people still own. So Miramets all the way. <laughs> yeah, Miramet was incredibly popular. In fact, the Orion that just came out is like it didn't quite shatter a sales record, but it was darn close to beating out some of our top selling Miramets. It was like within a few units of being the top seller, which was amazing. I had a feeling. I mean, Kransky, come on. Yeah, and you know, it looks like I love the paint scheme. It's like that total Tron style, and I've totally changed it to like a black and green pinstripe. So, okay, now, sorry, this is totally off topic, but you brought up the the paint scheme. Real quick question, and this is just to satisfy my curiosity: Are metallic paints ever coming? Gold, silver? Yes. The problem, uh, this problem, the technical challenge behind metallics. We actually did it for the Kintero Hero Mech. If you notice, they uh, I did. It, the Golden character. Boy. Yeah, that's right. It's actually a material. It's not even to do with the paint. So the actual pattern, we have to sell the pattern as a metallic pattern, and then you would pick from your colors to change the color ah. of the metallic. So it's actually, it's gonna, they're going to come in the form of, of skins, essentially. Awesome. Mm, I'm telling you, man. I just want bling for my BAM. You know, until mm-hmm. I get Shadow, gold-plated Shadowhawk, it's, it's, why not? Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know? Anyways, uh, awesome. Appreciate that. And of course, um, uh, one question, and you sort of featured this, uh, for those that didn't know, on Twitch. You uh, you uh, Twitch some spectator mode, some free cam spectator mode. Um, is this going to be uh, available uh, anytime soon or in general? We're looking at how we're going to handle it for the player base. The obvious, like the immediate red flag is, uh-oh, cheating. Like, yeah, Ghosting. Yeah, you get your guy in there, and he's relaying the position of all of the enemy. Okay, we want to avoid that situation. What we want to support is, you know, the groups and the teams that are going in there and creating amazing videos. That's one thing we want to absolutely support. And I'm going to have an, an announcement about that in the next week or two about our plans for how that will happen and how Spectator can allow players to uh, kind of increase the fidelity of their, their content creation, their videos, the recruiting stuff, all that. Uh, but we also, and part of the same system is for competitive play. So if you have like a tournament, like players are wanting to run a, a offline tournament where they're pitting two players against each other or two teams against each other, and they, they want to invite Spectators, supporting that system uh, and a way for people to not be in the actual battle but be able to watch it we're working towards that. That's kind of like the eSports module, the Solaris module, so to speak. Uh, and so we'll start talking a bit more about what we have plans for there uh, in, in the future. I was going to say, I mean, right off the bat, whenever we do Twitch streams, and I know when we played with, uh, when I got to play with Angry Joe and, and TV, um, we had ours on like, a, well, I had mine accidentally on a six-minute delay, but easily a five-minute delay throws off every, I mean, you just can't do anything with a five-minute delay. And so just introducing that, and of course, you know, that you guys have talked about Twitch integration, which is another, uh, you know, topic we'll we'll talk about uh, later, but uh, I yeah, guess the, I'm... The, it's actually, yeah, I can talk to that right now. The Twitch integration is complete. It's the uh, UI interface that we have to create to allow players to log into their account and so on and so forth. So, uh, uh, again, anything UI related is bottled up by 2.0. So we're just we're just waiting for the optimal time to introduce it. But the the engineering work's done, which is fantastic. Brian Windover took care of it. He did it really fast, and we're really excited to get that into the players' hands. That is going to be awesome. Now, for the Twitch, uh, if I can ask, uh, performance when using like programs like OBS or XSplit, you definitely notice a slight performance uh, hit uh, when using Twitch because obviously you're compressing all the information um, and playing the game, also compressing and then sending that ad- that out. Can you talk about the uh, the performance uh, footprint of uh, the integration? You know, I, I wish I could, and it's a bit beyond my technical knowledge. Uh, I don't have, I haven't had a chance to talk to Brian about that integration, so uh, maybe I can do that with a follow-up question. I'll see what he says. Maybe he can post something in the command chair and talk about what he plans there. Awesome. Thank you. Cool. Another question we get uh, from time to time is regarding single heat sinks. Um, are single heat sinks as they're intended to be currently? Or are they a stepping stone to getting the upgraded double heat sinks, or will they receive you know some kind of adjustment in the future to make them more viable? Uh, right now, there everything is in the in the heat area when it comes to heat sinks is working as intended. We did a balance run about a year ago on these these things. They're coming around again, uh, and what will be the trigger for us to look at heat sinks 
and double heat sinks will be the introduction of Clantech. Um, we're going to be having to look at how uh, they impact the firepower and the, the, the metagame that's going to come with Clantech. And then, and I, I would expect we probably are going to have to tune it uh, to make it a little bit more viable for Intersphere Max. But I don't know for sure. We haven't addressed it yet. Yes, we are happy with where it is right now. Yes, we plan to look at it shortly. Yeah, that's kind of what I assumed. I mean, like, you know, I play other games. One I bring up often is World of Tanks. And when you buy a tank at first, you know, you have you have to upgrade the radio, the tracks, the engine. And you don't think about, well, I hope they make that first-tier engine more viable so it competes with the top-tier engine. You just know you're upgrading, and that's kind of how I've always viewed it here. Well, you know, I've had a little bit different perspective, you know, thinking outside the box. I mean, obviously, you have double heat sinks that increase the cooling rate of the mech. Uh, but they don't increase the cooling capacity. And, you know, that that could be easily something that, you know, uh, they look at is signal heat sinks have a higher capacity, for instance. So if you were to look at it like 100% on double heat sinks for single heat sinks would be technically like 120, 130. So they could, uh, you know, the, the capacity is higher. The threshold is higher with singles. Uh, but obviously the cooling rate is low. And I mean, I, I would say just being that obviously a Battletech fan, that's just the introduction of uh, a mechanic that, I don't know if it was really thought out <laughs> well. You, know, you can't just translate that. Imagine, you know, if people got their wishes and it was just directly two times the performance. I mean, you know, double heat sinks. I mean, you know, it's like, holy crap. You know? You're saying it wasn't thought out well within the Battletech tabletop. Yeah, well, yeah. obviously tabletop, it was, it's different rules. Uh, you know, it, it is a turn-based, uh, you know, game. So that works. But as far as the translation, like, I remember... Just people like almost up in arms about it at the time. Like, oh, why aren't they double? And it's like, guys, you realize like double heat sinks are. It, it is, it, it is a broken thing if you if you have one right next to the other. One's always going to be superior. And you know, um, anyways. Yeah, I mean that's a good. There. Yeah, it's an interesting. That's a good segue. So I'm gonna I want to talk to that because it's part of the clan conversation. I, I'm gonna just say this right now so everybody can manage their expectations. We're not gonna make the same mistake that was made for the last 30 years when it comes to introducing clan technology into a Battletech or a MechWarrior project. It was a mistake how powerful they were when they were introduced and something that I remember talking to Jordan about and him saying, wow, you know, if I could take it back, I probably would. I'd probably change how they work uh, because it immediately invalidated an entire line of products uh, and, and mechs and content. So our approach to introducing Clantech, uh, which includes double heat sinks and lasers and how equipment fits onto mechs and Omnimechs, is we're going to look at it from the context of our game that and inspired by what the intent was for Clantech. Here is a superior force coming back that's going to lay, lay waste to the inner sphere, but we want to make sure that those inner sphere players are able to compete still. The way the story was written, it was through the valor of the inner sphere and the unification of the inner sphere that they were able to defeat the clans and overcome that superior tech. We can't guarantee that our player base is going to be able to do that. In fact, it'll be probably the opposite. Everybody's going to flock to the best, most efficient piece of content and therefore invalidate all the other content. And we don't want that to happen. We want to be able to recreate what was described in that lore, but it's going to require us to change the mechanics and the exact BT, uh, let's say the numbers, to make sure that the players can actually try and achieve what happened in that canon. Well, Brian, you know, just to be clear too, it wasn't just about the tech. You're talking about it was about the skill too, um, and and you you read constantly about the clans, you know, being introduced. They weren't just regular Joe Schmo. I mean, they were trained, you know, from five years up. I mean, these guys were literally honed into perfection, and that was a big playing factor. And even Randall Bill said this, uh, Brian, uh, just what you said about Jordan Wiseman's comment. Randall Bill said, my intent was not for clans to have this uber high, uh, you know, damage compared to the IS weapons or for the range factor as well. He's like, because as soon as you do that, it creates huge balance issues. He was like, what I wanted was a skill. It, it was about clans were more skilled than the, you know most of the intersphere counterparts and that that is what gave them yes the technology helped but it was the skill and you know obviously um, but how do you translate that into a video game well you don't well, because everyone your players 
right. it's got that skill component, right? So you can have right. a highly skilled inner sphere pilot overcome a poorly skilled uh, exactly. land pilot. So because that was written into the lore, that was the story, right? We can't simulate the story. We have to interpret it and try and create a scenario that that could play out. Yeah, most definitely. And we'll be talking about the clans, so let's not segue. Let's get back on topic. We're going to be talking about them in, you know, in all its glory, but uh, let's let's focus. Uh, next question we have is, now th- this is sort of a, I understand where they're coming from, and the question is, is the recently updated movement system, i.e. going up hills, based on weight, or is it based on scale? And, for example, should the Kentaro be able to climb up a hill more efficiently than a Highlander? Now, this got brought up because, obviously, a lot of mechs, um, you know, a lot of people, and myself included, feel that some of the scale is off. And it seems that, like, the movement of a Kentaro um, and a Highlander, you know, being the same isn't quite right when you look at, you know, you know tonnage. And can you elaborate a little bit on that? Uh, my understanding, I didn't, uh, I didn't do the full system. I don't know the math behind it, but, uh, my understand that it was supposed to be, uh, a class weight, weight scale. So I know there's been a few issues in terms of just, you know, hiccups like hitting geometry and, and hitting lips and small rocks that have caused the way the physics system works have caused some issues there. But, uh, you know, it's not, I don't think it's based on the, the, the look of the mech or anything like that. It's not based on the physical geometry or any of that. It's definitely based on procedural math that's uh, calculated in the back end. And now, me, I'm, just, I'm looking it up right now so I get the right information. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, there's a great post in the command chair that describes all of it. Okay, now specifically, uh, this sort of, it's a segue because I know the question uh, was also referencing scale of mechs. And, you know, I know we've, we've talked uh, about this in length on the podcast. And, you know, some mechs, uh, let's uh, reference, um, the, you know, the quick draw. It being, you know, pretty much almost the size of the Victor and, and taller. And, you know, obviously, you know, it, it, it's really tough because there's no, like, set scale for mechs, you know. And what I mean by that is, like, okay, well, do you do it off based off each tonnage uh, bracket? Do you, uh, you know, is it the uh, the height of the cockpit? Is it the height of the, you know, torso? You know, like, you've got all these variations. Uh, and we've talked about scale. Do you feel that it needs to be addressed? Or are you, are you guys comfortable with how the mechs are? Uh, we are we are looking at anything that is egregious, absolutely, and we are working on it. The interesting thing about some of the battle mechs is there's, there are reference points. So we do have some mechs have actually specific heights written in the lore. Uh, and you'll actually find some medium mechs that are taller than assault, or close to assault mech, or definitely taller than a heavy, uh, that are just kind of tall and lanky. So, you know, whenever possible, we use those references. Um, but there have been times where we feel the scale's been a little bit off, and we are working towards that. It does play into the gameplay balancing factor as well, because of the hit detection and things like that. So, you know, this one thing the community brought to our attention, that they were, they were unsure or unhappy, or they felt like there could be some better adjustments and we are actively looking at it and you've already seen some changes being made uh, and we will continue to address any anything we feel is outside the boundaries of of the intent gotcha and we've talked about that in the podcast as well as like uh it it's in, t- in me in my my personal opinion like it does play a big factor in gameplay you know how big a mech is is how easy is it to hit and then on top of that is it a you know a big profile small profile i mean awesome awesome is a big trash can if it's facing towards you it's an easy target to hit you know uh you know spider looking directly at you it's it's a lot smaller you know centurion it's a lot thinner it's got different contours and stuff like that so like the aesthetics and size of things and you know you know we bring this up because a medium mech sort of uh sort of bear the brunt of a you know i guess they're not big enough to carry all the weapons in the world and you know they're not small enough to avoid some of the fire but some of these you know um have definitely been uh, you know bigger than what a lot of people perceive as like oh well this is supposed to be a medium mech why is it so big or oh that's like a 60 ton uh, mech why is it you know the size of a you know an 80 um and stuff like that so i know that gets brought yeah. up all the time well there's the two sides there's two the two conversations i guess there's the height and then there's the width right so some mechs like the awesome are they're big boys right and they're going to be wide um and they might be squat like he might be shorter than a centurion as an example because or a trebuchet because he is squat and his weight comes from that squatness. So I, I agree. We all agree here internally that there's stuff that we can do to make it a little bit better. Um, but it's not, there's not a strict scale. Like a 50 ton should always be shorter than a 60 ton and a 60 ton should always be shorter than a, a hundred ton. It's quite the opposite. Even inside 
the lore, there are good examples of there being medium mechs, taller than heavy mechs, and so forth. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, you can really get into, like, well, density of armor or density of, like, uh, you know, all the materials and, you know, this and that. And that's actually sort of plays into... Um, our next question, you know, one thing in one thing you got to realize, like it's all fictitious, you know, in the lore, like you know, the stalker, why it's designed the way it is, or you know, this mech designed the way it is. It's all fictitious, and like you put it in a real world sense of putting it into MWO, some of those things factors don't come into play, like the context of materials, right, or uh, who produces the mech, or you know. Um, on top of that, what weapon systems are, you know, like faction specific, you know, maybe it was like, well, the price is really cheap, but it's made out of cheap parts, you know, and stuff like that. That's context that you can't really translate into uh, the game. So, yeah, that's kind of the flavor, right? That's the flavor text, which is something we love to add as well. Um, but really, at the end of the day, I think the concern, the, the primary concern is just from a gameplay point of view and making sure that uh, each mech feels, well, it looks, it looks appropriate. And also, it's balanced against other mechs. There's a pro and con to picking, say, the Awesome versus the, the Trebuchet because of scale and speed and armament and all that stuff. Speaking of the Awesome, this question has been asked a few times as well, basically dealing with mech quirks. Will they ever evolve into more than just uh, torso movement and flexibility, for example, uh, maybe special weapons capabilities? Uh, the example that's often given is the awesome variant being able to fire three PPCs without triggering uh, ghost heat. Anything like that? We, yes, we've talked about it. What's like so specific quirks, specific features to the mix? Um, yes, uh, we try to balance how we'd be doing that. Uh, right now, there's no specific plans, so it's on our radar. Something I, I, I we introduced with the quirks. But uh, we're we're planning to do a whole mech pass, and we we've been doing the quirk pass. But we're actually going to go back and and look at every single variant independently and its usage, and see if there's anything we can do to make certain mechs that are underused or underutilized more useful. The awesome is a good example as a as a mech line as a whole. It's it's underutilized for a variety of reasons, and there's a thing, some, some things we can do to it that will improve its overall desirability. And that's something that matters to us, not only because we've spent money making this mech and we want to make sure people sell, uh, buy it, but also we want to make sure those people who have invested in upgrading the awesome and playing as an awesome pilot also feel like their mech is competitive on the battlefield. My only concern is hearing this. I think it's a cool idea. My only concern is, though, could it be abused? You know, and... Uh, that would be my only thing is like when introducing when when all of the mechs are based on you know x amount of variables when it comes to like the pilot skill and stuff you know the the torso twist and they can have variations of this but when you introduce uh something like the awesome being able to fire three ppcs would it be abused but then also that goes in mind though but something you just brought up brian for these mechs that you feel need to be looked at uh, the awesome i know there's a few other mechs the hunchback 4j you know i've tried i've tried i've tried it um it's the ugly duckling man <laughs> well i know i know we've talked about this when are you guys going to be able to get back to the original sort of set of mechs and make it so the weapon geometry changes because you know talking about the hunchback you know would the 4g still have this huge shoulder pod if it doesn't have any ballistic weapon and, and and the reason i'm bringing this up is like it dynamically changes as soon as you see a hunchback 4g you go for the right torso you have 4p you go for the right torso and you know uh same thing are those weapon geometry changes or an actual physical changes coming uh soon uh if you mean like when i put a gauss on it changes based on like machine gun gauss yeah stuff. like yes, the new max. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah yes we're going back uh as time permits to adjust all those uh, you know things like even the founder skins you see that three of the founders max have been reskinned now i like the off. new hunchback by the way yeah. I, I, a lot of people do yeah, yeah I like to... so so we're doing that yes the answer is yes it's ongoing and again it's a balance between uh moving forward and introducing new content uh which is the same team as the team that goes back and fixes things. So what happens is if we have gaps in the schedule, uh, or production schedule, we go back and we fix the mech. And it's, it's fairly regular. Like we, we usually make time to do at least one every certain period, every time slice. Um, but that's, that's what the balancing act is. Gotcha. Now, I've asked this to FD when we've had him on the, the Mech Steps and Beer show. Changes, uh, no, well, let me, let me put it this way. You know aesthetically um, if a mech is broad-shouldered or big, 
let's take the awesome for example it's an easy target to hit that may put in a factor of why it's used and then obviously on top of that hard points you said uh you know possibly making changes to the mechs um would you guys ever consider or have you considered or are you going to um ever make uh, actual physical changes to like the awesome like what it looks like because you know maybe it's too broad and needs to be narrowed here or there or the actual like the physical shape of the mech needs to be changed. Yeah, it goes back to kind of your previous questions about scale, right? Uh, we would only do that if we feel like the scale is egregious, like there's something actually wrong, like that we don't feel like it was executed as perfectly as we needed to, or we're finding that that mech is um, is actually we because we can we can pull up telemetry on how the mechs are being used and where they die and how often they die. So we can we actually can go through and analyze, well, this mech is dying way more often than any other mech. Why? What's the reason for it? Is he getting hit more? Is he, is he just used more? So therefore, he's going to get more kills. So we, we use we use the, the community is kind of like the canary, and the the data is is the truth. So we, we look at what the community is saying, going, hey, I have a problem with this, and then we look at the data, and we validate what the community is saying. And if there's no validation, then we, we won't do something about it. Gotcha. All right, Brian, the next question we have is, will mechs ever be able to crouch? And if so, would it be for more than just concealment? I've been asked this question before. Yes, we want to allow mechs to crouch. What is the strategy behind it? It truly is just to uh, hide. Uh, you're in a, behind a building or behind a hill, and you just want to lower your profile. Uh, walking around crouched, I mean, technically, there's no technical reason not to allow it, uh, other than we have to add a new animation cycle for it, uh, and that's where the, co- the cost would be. Uh, it's just kind of goofy watching big... 100 <laughs> well, a crouching atlas yeah that would i will be say funny. in reference to this question uh the person who asked it i think was talking about uh you know MechWarrior living legends the mod that uh has been out and they have a crouch feature now when you're crouched you can't move forward or backwards it's literally you're at a standstill and what they did is they uh, made it so that um lrms actually locked on quicker so you got a benefit but at that time, you're actually more vulnerable too, because you know there's a there's a time when you have to you hit C again and you go to stand up and you're still vulnerable. So it was like it was a trade-off for those uh, LRM boats to get a little bit bit you know bonus, um, but or just any mech I guess with the LRMs. Um, so that was a gameplay function they introduced, um, and I remember using it. Me and Darren played that uh, quite a bit, so that was something they do. But uh, you know, I was thinking, can you imagine a spider? running up behind a boulder crouching and the only thing sticking up would be its head i mean like concealment wise that would work really damn well you know like um and of course it's as ecm and you know yeah it's spiders watching the watchful cicada you know 24 7 yeah something like that would make sense um you know again it's it's on our it's in our in our backlog among you know ten thousand other <laughs> other great ideas uh i just uh it's a resource uh, issue in and a gameplay thing and a balancing thing and right now we have bigger fish to fry but ultimately i'd I love to see it get in because it just add a little bit more strategy which is something we're always looking to do as long as and, i can do a headstand or a backflip i mean that's cool too you know right yeah and i definitely <laughs> i want to see that crouching atlas walking along um moving on achievements are individual lance and or team achievements coming anytime soon and what would those be like yeah, they are in development right now. Uh, actually, uh, we we designed the system. The system's done. Uh, the backend engineering work is finished. The gameplay team is now getting ready to do the actual gameplay part of it, which is when the ded- the dedicated server work, which detects whether the achievement's been completed. And uh, Garth uh, has been given the framework uh, to and how to design them. And he's he's having fun with that. He's actually designing them right now. So he's come up with a bunch of uh, you know more statistical achievements like kills and things like that. And so they're they're in progress right now. Uh, they will come online with 2.0 UI 2.0 uh, as a as a feature uh, right around its launch. So the good news is it's the work's underway. Gameplay works underway, and uh, we're really excited to kind of get into people's hands. The achievement system is actually a big system too. It it it's not as big as UI 2.0, but it is a component, a building block that's required before we go uh, on to the next phases of community warfare. Because inside of it, it it has all of the new user flow linked to it, so you would earn achievements and rewards for doing specific things. It also has the meta game, like what I call the meta game, because there's different different reasons uses for it. But essentially 
as a player earns experience points, which they do right now, you use it on uh, upgrading your your mech, your mech, your pilot tree, right? And but there's also accumulated XP, like total accumulated XP, which determines your level. So the, there's a progress associated with that level. So as an example, one of the things you would see is you need to be level 10 before you could join a faction. You need to be level 10 to create a Merc Corp. You would need to be level 5 to post on the forums. You would need to be level 50 to unlock the, your fourth uh, drop bay in your, in your drop ship to bring into battle um you would have to be you know level 60 to get unlock this piece of content so uh it's the achievement system is part of that concept at level 60 i earn this achievement i am given a reward uh which is also part of a bigger store system which is the gifting system which allows us to inject content into player accounts when they meet certain conditions that sounds so good this reminds me a lot of uh, games like uh, Battlefield 3 and Call of Duty, and a lot of games that like have these rewards, these achievements uh, for, you know, like obviously I roll around in the tank all the time, so you know I, I level that up really damn quick, but so that's what this sort of sounds like this whole achievement system, you know obviously I'm looking forward to it because I always like depth to the games, and obviously I want depth to our you know, Battletech game here and, and, um, and I say this, by the way we're playing Battletech online. A lot of people uh, misconstrue like MechWarrior and Battletech are two different things. It's the same thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I love it across the board. Uh, just yes, yes, and yes. And I feel like you guys should do like an achievement of like the Lance that does the worst should get like five high fives. And then after, you know, accumulation of like 10 high fives, you get like something, you know, maybe like a no, no, no. Yeah. no like well, here's, a, here's one of the things. Actually, this is Garth, Garth's idea, you know, because he's doing some of the, the design here. It, it, the nice thing about the achievement system is it's a series of conditions that have to be met, right? So get five kills in five minutes. That's a condition. And when you do such a set condition, you will earn that achievement. Well, there's a lot of opportunity for fun there, right? You know, kill Brian five times in two hours. You know, like kill a dev stuff will move into the achievement system. <laughs> but also, you know, we're, we can we can open it up for some some fun with the community too, where we can have the community maybe vote on a couple different achievements and and things like that that are a little bit more zany, but still fit within the context of the game. So we're we're looking forward to that that system coming online because the con it's it's a content system, not unlike adding a mech adding achievements is going to be an ongoing process forever. We'll keep coming up with great great new content for players to try to, to master, and the rewards that come with that will be things anywhere from C-Bills to EXP to patterns to skins to titles to anything we want we can reward, even a mech. You know, like, hey, hit level 70, here's your gold atlas. And that concludes part one of the Brian Ekman interview. Parts two and three will be released tomorrow and Friday and will include such topics as collisions, third-person, weapon systems, maps and game modes, community events, the clan invasion, and much, much more. Stay tuned. It'd be best if you avoid me, but I know you probably can't. You sense something is wrong with me, you can feel it on my skin, but there is more with it. Just a little off The truth is at one time I was But now I'm a robot Forever